This is what I need for you to do before I start talking again. Okay. Do some pews. Do some pews. Pew, pew, pew. Do some pews. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, 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 pew. Hello, welcome to Tencent Takes, the podcast where we gay it up one issue at a time. My name is Mike Thompson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the siren of swank, Jessica Fraser. It is I, gay as fuck. It is Pride <laughs> Month. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm, I'm singing a song. It's Pride nice. Month. So we've got that going for us, even if the rest of the world is terrible. Even if everything else is awful, at least it's June. <laughs> everything is awful. Yeah. Are, are we, is this a musical episode? <sighs> I mean, you really don't <laughs> want me. You don't want me singing. <laughs> <laughs> if you're new to the show, the purpose of our podcast is to look at comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We like to check out their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. If you're enjoying the show so far and you want to help us grow, it'd also be a huge help if you could rate or review us on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Good Pods, because that always helps with discoverability. And friendly reminder, we are not on Spotify, given how the platform is continuing to actively promote voices that spread vaccine disinformation. Boo. Boo. <laughs> Today, we are doing a mini episode to celebrate Pride Month. We tend to record things a little bit in advance, so we already had a bunch of content set up for June. But as members of the community, we wanted to make sure that we had some content taking a quick look at queer history and comics. So this episode, we're going to look at the first same-sex smooches in mainstream comics. And before we go any further, I want to give a special thanks to Joe Palmer from Gay League for helping with the research in this mini-sode. I'd also like to note that there's a little bit of guesswork involved with this. The first gay kiss in comics is pretty well documented, but finding the first lesbian one was a little bit more anecdotal, and there's a chance we might have missed something in spite of all the research. So, Jessica. Are you ready to discuss some same-sex smooching? Yo, I'm so ready right now. I'm so, my body is ready. <laughs> okay. So, much like other forms of media, mainstream queer representation in comics wasn't really a thing until the 1980s. And this was due to the fact that that old chestnut, the Comics Code Authority, specifically forbade queer representation. Before we get into that, Jessica, can you give us a quick summary of the Comics Code for our listeners? Ugh, the Comics Code. So <laughs> That is the listen. appropriate response. <laughs> yeah, so listen. Oh, some bitches got worried. No, I, I like how I start. I like how I start boiling it down more and more each time. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every time. Oh. So some conservatives got really concerned that their children's tiny little brains were melting because of the media. So there was this book, this lovely book called <laughs> Seduction of the Innocent by Dr. Frederick Wortham. And ugh, what a piece of trash. It just, yeah. 
it was it was a whole thing. It just it Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's it makes me so sad to think about how censored things were back then, so unnecessarily in so many directions. Yeah. It was rough. Yeah. I mean, it was like a more extreme version of that parental music advisory that we got in the the late eighties, early nineties. Like, you know Exactly. Yeah. Fucking moral majority over here. I know, right? So the marriage and sex portion of the code was actually pretty substantial. And according to the original standards from 1954, one of the driving tenants was sex perversion or any inference to same is forbidden. So as a result, any non-heteronormative, non-vanilla depictions in comics were coming from underground books that basically weren't adhering to the comics code. Gay League has a fantastic history of queer representation in comics, and we'll link to that in our show notes if you'd like to learn more about this. But the rise of local comic shops from the late 60s onwards made it easier for creators to bypass the code's restrictions by just not bothering to sell their books through outlets like newsstands or drugstores. And that's how actually we got the first same-sex kisses in comics. They were in series that couldn't have been sold without the direct market. Now, interestingly, it looks like they both hit store shelves the same year, just a few months apart. So we're going to talk about these in chronological order. It seems that the first same-sex kiss in comics was between two women, and I should note that the term women comes with a caveat because one of the characters is widely considered to be the first genderqueer character in mainstream comics, too. This actually took place in Camelot 3000, which is a 1982 sci-fi fantasy series that we're going to devote a full episode to at some point. The 12-issue maxi-series was published by DC Comics, written by Mike Barr, penciled by Brian Bolland, inked by Bruce Patterson and Terry Austin, and colored by Tatiana Wood. And the gist is that King Arthur and his knights are reborn in the year 3000 AD, and they have to repel an alien invasion, while also repeating a number of moments from the Arthurian cycle. And Arthur's knights are all reincarnated after the king reappears, and it's actually a really diverse crew. But the biggest twist is that Sir Tristan is reborn into the body of a woman named Amber and has a really tough time resolving their gender identity. With the hindsight of almost 40 years, it's kind of an awkward narrative element, and we'll discuss that in depth when we actually give Camelot 3000 a full episode. But the short version is that, you know, Tristan's identity was groundbreaking at the time, especially considering how it was being produced by cis white creators. But I'm going to call it flawed at best coming from today's perspective. Now that said, Isolde, who's Tristan's love interest in original Arthurian legends, is also reborn as a woman. So Isolde shows up halfway through the series. And in August of 1983, issue 7, she reintroduces herself to Tristan and then the two wind up locking lips. So, Jessica, you read the issue. How would you describe it as going down? Oh, it's, um, it's kind of heartbreaking. So. She tries to reintroduce herself and basically is like, so listen, I'm the same person and I mm-hmm. loved you once and I could I could love you again. And they lock lips and it, it seems to be very mutual at the time. Like they're they're both embracing. They both have their arms around each other. And then Tristan goes off and slaps her. Yeah. And says no. And it's. It's really intense. It goes from hot to cold so incredibly quickly. And she says, I want to and I hate myself for it. And that's so powerful. And I feel like that's such a mm-hmm. 
it's such a telling way of how purity culture really does affect some people when they're coming out or as they're starting to grow into their identities. It just like, it felt really real. Yeah. And I mean, it's such an intense moment too, because Brian Ballin's artwork is so good and so dramatic. And I mean, it's one of those incredibly iconic images when you look at it, because he basically whites out the background. So it's just the two of them and it's a large scene. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a really heavy scene and she, she rejects her. She says no. And then Tristan leaves. She just walks out. Yeah. And one of the core things is that Isolde doesn't care what Tristan looks like or what body Tristan is in. Isolde is very much taking the approach of, I don't care about the glass. I care about the wine. To quote David Rose from Schitt's Creek. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. How does the scene play to you? I'm curious. How do you feel about it overall after reading it? Like I said, it was really heart-wrenching, but it felt really genuine. And you wonder what Tristan is going to have to process later, like whether she's going to be able to process her feelings in that way or whether she'll be in some sort of denial. I think it's something a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. Well, you know, the good news is that Tristan and Assault eventually work out. And the way that they frame it narratively, mm, I go back and forth on it, but the final image of the two of them together at the end of the series is actually, I think, one of the most beautiful moments I've ever seen in comic books. But yeah, so that is the first same-sex kiss between two women in comics. How do you feel about talking about dudes? Let's go talk about some bros. Some bros in love. Let's talk about some bromance. Some bromancing. Yes. <laughs> okay. So December of the same year, Don McGregor's independent series, Saber, featured the first male-on-male kiss. And McGregor himself is a really interesting dude. He's earned a lot of acclaim for his socially progressive writing in comics. He took over Marvel's Jungle Action Book, and he didn't like how the series featured a bunch of white protagonists in African settings. So he made Black Panther the starring character. And people still talk about that series, especially the issue where T'Challa takes on the KKK and the entire run is often credited as like one of the first instances of multi-issue story arcs. And then he and P. Craig Russell, who we've talked about previously on the show, worked together on this really acclaimed run of Marvel's Amazing Adventures, and they are widely credited for featuring the first interracial kiss in mainstream comics. And then he had a 1980 graphic novel called Detectives, Inc., and that is credited as being the first depiction of lesbians in mainstream comics. I've read, the, I've read them. Basically, it acknowledges the existence of lesbians, and you see them like holding hands and, and being in a relationship, but there is no smooching. So Saber's ongoing series spun out of this 1978 book called Saber, Slow Fate of an Endangered Species, which is one of the first graphic novels. The series itself started in 82, and it was published by Eclipse Comics, which was operating out of Guerneville, just down the road from us at one point in the 80s. I'm not sure if it was there when this book was published, but, you know, there's a local connection there for us. Well, and I wanted to be able to tell you that, unfortunately, because I am going to do a larger episode about Eclipse Comics, so. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited about this. It was also operating out of Forestville, which is even closer to us. 
Eclipse put out some really interesting books over the years, and I, I agree. I think we should absolutely do a, an episode about them. But I also kind of love the the comic book that features the first male on male kiss in its pages came out of a publisher that was operating out of Guerneville, which is very much kind of like a gay vacation town in Northern California now. Their largest bar is called the Rainbow Cattle Company. Listen, it's so much fun, guys! Was, like if you ever get I a chance, go check it there. out. <laughs> gay as fuck. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So back to Saber. It is this, I, there's really no other way to describe it other than this bonkers comic that's set in this very Mad Max-esque future where the world has been devastated by one disaster after another. The US government's basically hiding in a fortress and then waging a proxy war via overseers against various rebel groups in the wastelands that used to be America. Saber himself is one of those rebels who winds up on death row with two men named Deuces Wild and Summer Ice in issue number three. Which, like, come on. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I love it. When we meet the duo, the book notes that they've known each other for five years and they've been lovers for three. And they escape with Saber and they wind up becoming supporting characters in the series. So in issue six... Deuces and Summer get into a battle with this robot named, and I'm not making this up, the Lounge Lizard, and he's designed to look like this weird lizard-human hybrid, and that fight carries over in issue 7, which was written by McGregor and is illustrated by Billy Graham, and that is where we get our first on-page kiss between the two. (laughs) This one is a much more dramatic moment, I feel, in terms of like action that's going on in the book. Well, not in yeah. the way it's really not not really in the way it's depicted, but it's like it's a very action packed moment. So like, how would you, how would you describe it? Well, yeah, because Deuces is like on his deathbed; he's like about to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spoiler: He doesn't die. They get rescued. It's great that you know what I I actually like that. We'll get back to that. Yeah, so it's really tender. Actually, it's three frames. So Deuces is kind of lean back and Summer is kind of holding his head up like tenderly. And he says, listen, Deuces. And he's like, yeah, you were right about what it matters. And they're talking about his fight back attitude. Yeah. And that it matters that you do fight back about what you care about. And so after he says that, he kisses him. And so you're meant to believe that that's like the last moment they're going to have, that they're going to end things in this passionate embrace. But yeah, like Mike said, they they end up getting rescued, which is great. And which honestly doesn't usually happen for queer folks. Like usually they just get killed, you know, in really yeah. horrible ways. You know, this got really close, but it didn't. You know, that was for drama. I get it. Like you need a little drama. Yeah. But thank you for not going all the way with it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, good old Don McGregor. He's a, (laughs) based on how he writes, I'm pretty sure that we would probably get along well with him or at least enjoy having a conversation on the podcast. Yeah, at the least. At the least. Yeah, like you said, it's played up for dramatics because they're both mortally wounded. And so it's implied that this is the last thing they're doing with their dying breath is, you know, kissing each other goodbye. And it's really, it's one of those things where the whole issue is it feels very, over the top to the point of being silly and then it has this really nice moment you know in the middle of it which i really liked 
Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of appreciate that our first two instances of same-sex kisses are not played for laughs or to gross people out or, you know, to, to basically make queer people into monsters. They're genuine expressions of love between people who care about each other. There's, I would agree. And I liked that they were complex moments, that they weren't mm-hmm. just, you know, they weren't just two characters who were in the heat of the moment. They were really complex in feeling and feeling and they had a lot of different emotions behind them. They had grief and, you know, confusion and disbelief. And there were just so many things that were happening in both of those scenes that it really felt like it could have been, you know, true to life, as it were. Yeah. What do you think about the fact that that both of these kisses took place in science fiction stories? Because, like, come to think of it, science fiction was the genre that also featured the first interracial kisses in both television and comics, too. We got it with Amazing Adventures. Like, McGregor's Amazing Adventures is, like, uh, kind of like a sequel to War of the Worlds, but it's very kind of John Carter of Mars in terms of its aesthetics. And then... Star Trek gave us the first interracial kiss on television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's actually a fascinating notion that we don't even, we don't even see progress within our own current time frame mm-hmm. as a society that we really only see it in the far distant future, a future that we ourselves are just imagining. Yeah. yeah. It goes back to, to that concept of the dream of tomorrow, you know? When and yeah. and what we think a better tomorrow will contain, kind of like that. I do too, but it's it's interesting that people don't feel like they can have that now. You know, yeah. there are so many aspects of the dreams that we have for tomorrow that we very well could achieve if some simple changes were made. But we don't want to look at that <laughs> as a society. We'd rather look so far into the future. Because then it's somebody else's problem. Yeah. They'll fix everything. Something will get fixed along the way. They'll figure it out. Like, I'm not going to figure it out. They'll figure it out, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so both of these series eschewed the comics code. So like I mentioned earlier, they weren't available in a lot of the usual places that kids could buy comics. But what's cool is that, you know, they sold well enough that they both had successful runs in the market. What's cool about these stories is that they're still pretty easy to get a hold of even today. So Saber's graphic novel was reprinted in 2009, and you can still get those single issues like pretty easily and, and affordably. In Camelot 3000, the single issues, if you're trying to buy them online, a lot of times people are selling them for, for a lot of money. But it is not hard to find at local comic shops for pretty reasonable prices. I actually picked up the entire run in the dollar bin last weekend, believe it or not, at one of our local shops. And then Camelot 3000 has also been collected in a couple of editions, and it's available digitally. There was even like a recent reference to it in Legends of Tomorrow, the TV show. Season 2 features an episode called Camelot slash 3000 because it takes place in two different eras one is in the year 3000 and the other one is a medieval version of camelot and it ends with sarah lance laying one on guinevere before she leaves to go on to the next adventure so yeah those are the original queer kisses in comics like do you have any final thoughts before we uh sign off be gay do crime
And also, let's go ahead and dismantle some systems that don't serve us. What do you guys say? Yeah, I love it. Be gay, do crime. So like I said, we are eventually going to come back and revisit both of these series for full-length episodes. But next week, we'll be back with our regularly scheduled content. And until then, we will see you in the stacks. Happy Pride. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Mike Thompson, and edited by Jessica Frazier. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who you can find at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. The official podcast account is Tencent Takes. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop. Pew, 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 pew.